All right, uh, it's been a few weeks since we actually had a formal lesson. So, to remind you of where we're at, we're looking in chapter 7, and really we're exploring one particular phrase in um, section 3. Um, I'll go ahead and just read that entire section. Uh, it says, This covenant, talking about the new covenant, is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed, first of all, to Adam and the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. After that, it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. And in particular, we've been looking at the third sentence where it says, talking about the covenant of grace, that it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. And we've talked about how it was not formally covenanted until the New Testament, and therefore we can rightly say and assert the covenant of grace is the new covenant. It is The new covenant is not an administration of the covenant of grace. It is the covenant of grace. Um, and we have already gone over the uh, covenant of creation or covenant of works in the garden. We've covered the Noahic covenant and we've extensively talked about the Abrahamic covenant and so tonight, we're finally moving into the Mosaic, or if you prefer, the Sinaitic covenant. Um, <clears throat> our controlling passages when we were looking at uh, the Abrahamic covenant were in Galatians 4 and Galatians 3. Well, still going to be the controlling passages to consider the Mosaic covenant as well. Um, so if you would... Um, Turn back to Galatians chapter 3. We're not going to read the entire chapter because if my memory serves me correctly, we've already done that. But we are going to look at the uh, relevant part for the Mosaic Covenant. So what we're going to look at is verses 15 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and again, the uh, context is talking about how the gospel was preached to Abraham, and Abraham believed the gospel and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul's making the argument that we are not saved by keeping the law, but rather we are saved by faith alone. Even though the word alone may not appear, he's very clearly saying faith alone. So, with that as the backdrop, then we'll pick up in verse 15. <clears throat> it says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, of course, he's referencing there the covenant of grace aspect, not the covenant of circumcision aspect. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, 
we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. See, there's a contrast there. It's not faith and law. It's either we're justified by law or we're justified by faith. This is an either-or question. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, <clears throat> kind of breaking this down. So in verses 17 through 18, the Mosaic Covenant, or the Scripture refers to it here as the law. So when it's talking about the law in this context, we're talking about Moses' covenant. It was not given to serve as a condition for the salvation of its members. Okay? Uh, it was never intended to justify anyone in God's sight. That was never the purpose of the Mosaic Law. Uh, if, you, if we had gone back and re reread it, in verses 6 through 9, we read of Abraham having the gospel preached to him, which is expressly said to be the promise that through his seed the nations would be blessed, and Abraham was justified by believing or trusting in this promise of a seed to come. There is nothing here regarding the reception of that promise or justification by belief in the seed uh, of the promise coming through the law of Moses. Okay, uh, Abraham was justified long before there was a law given to Moses. In fact, the text explicitly states in verse 21 that if the purpose of the law would have been to justify sinners, then righteousness would in fact have come by the law instead of through faith in Christ. And that's explicit there. To clarify, are we speaking of the Ten Commandments? I think, now I think in this context, we are talking about the entire Mosaic Law. Because you've got to put, the context of Galatians is Christ plus circumcision. Well, obviously circumcision is not part of the moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments. That is a positive law that's added by way of covenant. The moral law is always binding on everyone. Circumcision is not. Um, Alright, so then in verses 19 through 25. Since we know the law was not given to justify us before God and thereby make us heirs of the promise with Abraham, what function does it serve? So it's not this, so what is it? The scripture says it was added because of transgressions until Christ should come. It functioned as a guardian, or some translations say it, schoolmaster, who taught, protected, disciplined, and separated from the world Abraham's spiritual offspring, and that's very important to get, until the one offspring in whom the promises find their fulfillment came. Now that Christ has come, Abraham's spiritual offspring are not under the Mosaic law as a covenant of works. Commenting on verses 19 through 24 of this passage, Pascal Denot rightly asserts, according to the apostle, the goal of the covenant made with the physical posterity of Abraham, that is the old covenant or the law, was to lead to Christ. This end was accomplished in at least three ways according to the 17th century particular Baptists. Or in other words, the guys that wrote our confession. Number one, by preserving both the Messianic lineage and the covenant of grace. Number two, by pointing typologically towards Christ. So Moses' covenant is pointing towards Christ. Protecting the lineage for him to actually come. And it's also pointing Old Testament believers forward to his coming. And then number three, by imprisoning everything under sin in order that, the on, uh, that only the means to obtain the promised inheritance was through faith in Christ. In other words, 
We can't earn it. The law imprisoned us under sin because we don't have the ability to keep it in our fallen state. Your source material. This was Pascal Denault. I honestly forget the name of the essay, but I can get it for you if you want that. Thinking about it. Okay. Um, Okay, before I move on to the next passage, any thoughts or comments on that passage? No? Okay. Now we'll go back to our other passage that we saw as a controlling passage of the Abrahamic covenant, Galatians 4, and this is verses 21 through. 31. And remember what we're seeing here is that Abraham had two covenants present in his covenant. We had a spiritual promise and we had a physical covenant. Okay? And they're, they're separate. But they're both contained within the one Abrahamic covenant. So it says... Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, and he means specifically under the law as a covenant of works to earn salvation, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. We saw how that was such a big deal in Galatians 3, well, he carries that over into the next chapter. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Again, both of them go through Abraham, though. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. So he's expressly saying the physical covenant, the covenant of slavery, is the Mosaic covenant. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be Uh, more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's pretty explicit as well. The inheritance does not come by the keeping of the law. Alright. Any thoughts or comments on that? That, We needed to read those things to make sure we had the proper context for the Old Testament passages we're going to read, because we always want to interpret the Old Testament through the New Testament. Would you consider that Second part, um, where it talks about like the, the Jerusalem above is free. Would you can? Would it be accurate to say that's talking about that new covenant, the new covenant, the one that was ratified by Christ? Absolutely, okay. that's Actually, absolutely I what he's saying. I put that in my Bible, yeah. and I was going to make sure that. Well, what he, the, so the contrast he's making is between Moses's covenant right. and Christ's covenant. Okay. Now, Moses' covenant is intended to point to Christ's covenant. So it's not that it is in and of itself opposed to Christ. It's definitely not. Um, but the idea is that you have the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, who was trying to earn its righteousness before God. Right. And then you have the church, the believers, those who are truly in Christ, who understand, I don't earn anything. Jesus earned it. I received this by promise. I received this by grace. I didn't do anything to earn or deserve it. Jesus is the one who earns and deserves it. 
So that's uh, that's why we said okay. So this one's a, this is slavery because I have to do do do. This one is freedom because it's done. It's already done. Also, if I'm on track, the, the Mosaic Covenant also had a mixed group of people. Yes? Uh, just to clarify, meaning you had some who were regenerate and some who were not. Correct. Yes, that's correct. And, that, and in the, the New the covenant, covenant, that is not the case. Not Everybody true. in the New Covenant is saved. And that's Everybody has a new heart. And the law of God written on the heart. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the biggest difference. For that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah. Um, I think that the biggest difference, though, which leads to that, is who is the mediator in that covenant? Yes. Which is Christ. Yes. And therefore, all of the promises, the blessings, everything about Christ's covenant is superior. That's what. Yes. That's what Hebrews is saying. Hebrews all about that. The entire book of Hebrews is all about that. Christ is superior. Because you have to think, that is being written to Jewish believers who are being tempted to go back to the old way. Go back. And what the author is saying is, in comparison to Christ, there's nothing for you to go back to. Because Christ and His covenant and His kingdom are superior to all of these things you're being... Uh, implored to go back to. So we have not only these scriptures, we have an entire book in the scriptures making this point. No worries, I, I'm not going to read the whole book. <laughs> and that's all very exciting. It is. We also have to remember, and and we sometimes don't think about it in modern times, but the Hebrew people not only was it a religion, so to speak, but it was also a race of people. I mean, that they knew you had a physical else. lineage of Abraham right. there. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's kind of doubly hard for the Hebrew people to believe like this because to let go of it. Yes, to let go. Scripture of it. says that the Christ is a stumbling block. Yeah. For yeah. for the Jews. So yes. we sometimes forget that that they're not. It's not just a religion. It is a race. It is their race. And, and, well, and we're going to see that even more. That this is very much a national covenant. It's also their culture. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. everything. Oh, it's everything. Yeah, it's, it's everything. It determines everything about their society. But it's not just the people because mm-hmm. because if you believe in the Jewish traditions and things like that, you could be grafted in like you were just brought in to, uh, you were adopted. You're saying that Gentiles mm-hmm. becoming Jewish, basically. Yes. Right. So no, it's that, not that's really right. a quote-unquote like race, you're saying. It's a people group. It's a people. It's a nation. It's a nation. That's it. Um, okay, but so. Some strangers still lived in to reap benefits, didn't necessarily join, but they lived. Well, the law that specifically in many places addresses strangers and aliens. That's right. So strangers um, and aliens, and then there were the people. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the Old Testament passage where this covenant is actually instituted. Um, so this is going to be Exodus chapter 20. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 and then flip over to chapter 24 after that. Um, there's some laws given in the middle there that we're just going to, for the sake of time, skip over. Just know that that's what's in the middle. Um, there's some specific laws given uh, that are not the moral law. All right. So Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner, there's the mention of that, uh, who is within your gates. For in the six days, or four and six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that, your, uh, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, uh, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then there are several laws given in the middle, but let's go ahead and go to chapter 24. <coughs> this is where the covenant is confirmed. All right, again, starting in verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. Emphasis, doing. Um, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Um, and then from there they go up to the mountain and um, the covenant making ceremony continues. But you see there basically that the people agreed. God laid out his terms and the people agreed. That's what I was wanting us to see there. Um, and Nadab and Abihu is standing right there listening to everything. Yeah, we're going to get to them. <laughs> um, Alright. So let's consider the elements of the covenant. So first you have the contracting parties. You have God and the nation of Israel. Very clearly this is a nation and it's being given laws. Okay? Uh, Sam Renahan points out, quote, the people with whom this covenant is transacted align identically, one for one, with those of Genesis 17, the offspring of Abraham according to the flesh. So we are still talking about the exact same people that are bound by the covenant of circumcision. The exact same people. Um, I think I mentioned this before, but if you go back earlier in the beginning of Exodus, God delivers the people from 
their slavery in Egypt on the basis of his covenant with Abraham. It says God remembered his covenant. And he delivers the people. Now he's instituting another covenant with the exact same people. So then we have the conditions of the covenant. And simply put, the condition was that Israel must keep the law of the covenant. We just read, we will be obedient. Right? We will keep all this law. That's, that's the covenant that we're talking about. Um, again, Renahan comments, the Mosaic covenant is a development of the Abrahamic covenant in which God made promises which he would fulfill nationally to Abraham's descendants while they, the descendants, must keep the covenant if they want to enjoy the benefits and blessings promised by God. The same kind of arrangement is established through the Mosaic Covenant. Remember, we had a condition, a covenant of works in the covenant of circumcision. You're not circumcised, you are cut off from people. You're cut off from the covenant. You now are cursed according to the covenant. Well, you have the same kind of arrangement as established through the Mosaic Covenant. God declares the blessings he intends to pour out on Israel, but the Israelites are for the Israelites to enjoy the blessings. They must keep covenant law. Alright. So, speaking of that, the blessings and curses of the covenant. The blessings for covenant keeping were to be a national relationship with God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Conquest of the land of Canaan and blessing within the land of Canaan after it's conquered. So these are the blessings of the covenant to be earned. Um, I do want us to look at Exodus 23, so back just a little bit, to see this. Uh, this is verses 20 through 33. Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33. Alright? It says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Talking about Canaan. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do. But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods." They shall not dwell in your land, your land, <clears throat> lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Very clearly. Blessing is the land, and then blessing within the land. Uh, one more passage on this. Deuteronomy 28. And you can just camp out here because we're going to also look at the curses in this same chapter. Uh, starting in verse 1. 
And as far as looking at the blessings, we're going to go through verse 14. And it says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people, holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the works of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So we... Essentially, we keep saying this repeated. Do this and be blessed. And then do this and be blessed. And then again, do this and be blessed. It's most definitely a covenant of works. But then, he switches gears in the exact same chapter. Um, so picking up in verse 15. But... If you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. I'm not going to read the rest of this chapter, but you get the point. He's basically repeating the same blessings, but now in the form of a curse. And eventually this culminates in, I will ensure that the land vomits you out. Okay? So this is a national covenant kept for national blessing. All of this is physical. And the land did vomit them out. It did. And this is um, this is the context. So we've been going through the minor prophets. This is the context for what they were talking about. You have not kept this covenant specifically. And therefore you have invoked the curses. That's why that's why I gave you the that's why I gave you the abridged version. They are very explicit. Yes. Uh, they go through verse sixty-eight, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, so I'm gonna let you read that on your own time. You get the point. Yes. You can just get scattered. But I mean Think about that for a moment, though, because there is something to be learned from that. 14 verses of blessing. And then 15 through 68 of curses. Okay. Takes his commandments Yes. So, all right. So that's the blessings and curses. Um, the priesthood. This is a little different. 
Um, at this point, we may be tempted to view this as what some people have called a republication of the covenant of works with Adam. Very clearly, Adam's covenant, do this and live. And very clearly, do this, at least in terms of blessing, do this. Okay? Uh, after all, the same moral law that was implicitly present in the covenant with Adam, because remember the moral law is at all times binding on humanity. Okay? So it was just as binding on Adam as it is on Moses. Alright? So the moral law that was implicitly present with Adam is explicitly present in this covenant. We just read the Ten Commandments. That's the summarized version of the moral law. There is something to be caught in that comment because I'm afraid too often we go, the moral law is the Ten Commandments. No, the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. It's not completely contained in the Ten Commandments. Um, but, I mean, we do properly say it's summarized there. Um, and uh, as we've seen, much like the covenant with Adam, the keeping of the law is the condition for the receiving of the blessings of the covenant, and breaking the law of the covenant results in its curses being invoked. But there is a provision in the Mosaic covenant that is not present in the Adamic covenant of works. And therefore, I think we should reject this idea of it being a republication, I don't think that's correct. Um, Denault explains it this way. The covenant of works concluded at creation required man's perfect obedience. The blessing of this covenant depended entirely on the works or obedience of Adam. It provided no mercy or expiation in case of disobedience, but only death. This was not the case with the old covenant. The scriptures present this covenant as being a covenant of redemption. The old covenant was based on a priesthood. In a certain way, it was planned that the people would sin and that it would subsist nonetheless thanks to the Levitical system of sacrifices. So this idea of atonement was not present in Adam's covenant, but it is in the covenant with through, not with, through Moses. Don't do this. But if you do, then you can do this. Yes. And still be in good standing with the covenant. And then yes. You're going to not do it again, but you're going to do this. Versus Adam, you don't do it. That's just it. Yeah, but that's it. Is to, uh, in uh, in 3.16, uh, what you've got is you already got the promise there. So, I mean, it's Genesis, coming. You're talking about the... It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is that it's, it's not uh, evident, uh, but... Uh, and it's not alluded to. Well, the thing coming. The thing there, though, is the promise comes after that covenant are the Right. So that promise is not an element of the covenant, but it's the result of the covenant having been broken. Right. Um, but yeah, the promise is definitely made there. Um, yeah, I think the, I've already told you guys. I think the expiation is already implicit there, right? In the promise. In sixteen. Yes, and the promise after the fall, yes. Right, yeah. But that is the I understand. That is the initial announcement of the covenant of grace, right. which, you know, we say it's in the form of a promise right. there. It's not a formally covenanted covenant. But Alright, uh, of course, this element of the covenant was but a type and shadow of the good things to come. Um, it provided a covering for the sins already committed, national sins for the most part. Uh, but these sacrifices continually had to be offered as the people continually committed sin. So we could offer this sin, uh, this offering for sin, and maybe that is a covering for what I've already done. That doesn't do anything for what I'm going to do. Okay, so we keep having to do this over and over and over. Furthermore, these sacrifices never served to justify man in a salvific sense before God. Because remember in Galatians, we already saw no one's justified by the law. And what is meant by law there is this covenant. 
Okay, so they're not justified by positive works. They're also not justified in the salvific sense by the offering of the blood of bulls and goats. And yes, I am borrowing that yeah, but, scripture. And, and, but what happens is in Romans 3, uh, what you've got is it says that uh, they were they were covered temporarily. Yes. Uh, and then what happens is that uh, then the price had to be paid, but it was going to be paid uh, uh, by the one that's got the opportunity. I mean, the power to pay it, uh, yes. which is Christ. And so the situation or, is that uh, what they were what was done was that they were all put on in storage. Uh, and then what would happen is they all went to the cross with Christ uh, and he bore those sins. Well, and we're going to see the relationship between them uh, <coughs> straight out of the scriptures. So Hebrews 9. We'll start in Hebrews 9. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 11. This is going to be a somewhat lengthy reading, but I think you'll see necessarily so. Uh, Hebrews 9 starting in verse 11. And we're going to go through chapter 10, verse 23. Alright. Alright, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest, remember the context we're talking about the priesthood, Okay? Uh, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So that uh, tent that it's referring to is the, uh, it's referring back to the tabernacle uh, in which the priest would offer their sacrifices. Uh, he, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption versus a temporary. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that's an outward cleansing, okay? Don't miss that. So this is not justification of the sinner in the inward sense. This is not circumcision of the heart. This is an outward covering of sins. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we're turning from dead works to living works. So the works we're doing to justify ourselves... We're dead. The works we do because we've been justified by Christ, we are alive. So it's kind of the concept I said Sunday. Uh, you have do this and live versus you live, so do this. That's what we're seeing right there. What freedom. Oh, absolutely. What, what contentment that brings and what rest. When you understand it. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you happen to work, 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 and you think, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I'm going to get cursed, I'm going to get trouble, I'm going to get busted, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, there's a lot of fear. Right, and our approach, um, well, our approach to God, but also understanding His approach to us in the New Covenant is, um, yes, I still sin, and... um, God is not pleased with my sin ever. Uh, But the uh, disposition of God turns from one of my judge to now my father. So the judge is going to condemn in a um, judicial sense, in in a criminal sense. The father is going to discipline. So punishment versus discipline. And our heart posture is totally different too. Yes, it's not, oh we look goodness, at God oh that goodness. way. We, and now it's like, oh my, I have disappointed. I have just broken my father's heart by deciding to make this choice of sin. That's right. And, and, and I, it's a totally different heart posture. 
um, it is a rawness. There is a rawness there because our heart has been circumcised. There's a more sensitivity. There's less between, you know what I mean? When you think about a circumcision, you're cutting away the skin, right? Uh, well, what... what uh, our hearts are circumcised, what, right? What we saw in the passage in Jeremiah Sunday, mm -hmm. um, all of us know the Lord. So, and, and I mentioned it's an intimate knowledge. It's yes. um, it's not just I have intellectual understanding. I mean that is part of it, but it's deeper. Yes, I know him in the sense that I love him, mm -hmm. and he loves me. So when I sin and I break my father's heart, and I realize I've done it, it will break my heart, my heart because I love him. Right. So. All right, getting back to the passage. Uh, we were in verse 15. It says, Therefore he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised, there's that word promise again, eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Which evidently means that the component in the first covenant couldn't do that. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And we just read about the sprinkling of the blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he puts away sin. So it's not that he has to be sacrificed over and over and over again. He is once for all sacrificed, put away sin forever. Put away, so we don't have to see it. We don't have to, we're not enslaved to it. Not have to, to pay for it and think it's about it. It's paid for it. And, That's, it's and atoned it for it. again. Exactly. So, uh, we are no longer accountable in the um, judicial sense for our sin. Mm -hmm. Now that, I'm saying that very carefully. Yes. Paul Not in a judicial we sense. <laughs> you still get disciplined yes. by the Father. I mean, you're still responsible sin. for your sins. Do not hear me say you're not responsible you for your sins. You mean we're not still... Okay, we still <clears throat> sin. And we're still responsible we're, for it. And we're still sinners. It's just that it's... If we confess our sins, He is faithful. And just, just to forgive us. That's it. And He cleanses us. There's nothing, yes. good, in our, there's nothing yes. good in our flesh, Paul. Correct. We will still sin. Yes. The flesh is a bond upon us. That's yeah, it. I don't like that flesh. <laughs> None of us do. I think we were just talking about a verse today. Who will that. save us from this body of death? Jesus. Seven. I, I <laughs> plead Christ <laughs> and Him crucified. That's, amen. Romans 7. Um, but it's nice, the idea, the understanding that it's it's put away. Forever. Forever. Uh, well, and even yeah, going and back to actually, Jeremiah, we actually, we actually, he will cleanse them from their sins. We, <coughs> forgiven forever. According to Romans 6 on through 8, uh, what we've got, though, is uh, we've got a sanctification to process mm -hmm. to go through. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And basically yes. what happens is mean we're the, fast, the faster we the fact the faster we recognize and 
confess, mm -hmm. the fast, I mean, what happens is that we actually can get into a fairly smooth uh, existence uh, by uh, growing uh, and basically not, not, not working our way, yes. but basically what happens is that we've come to understand. We're sensitive to sin. Right. We, we, we have that sensitive, sensitivity, our heart is right, circumcised then, where your sensitivity right, to the dis, to, right. to the choices of our fleshliness or worldliness. You got it, girl. I, I know this. I'm not trying to talk down to you. No, no, no. I'm just discussing because it makes me more sensitive. Does that make sense? No, that's 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 what sanctification that's is supposed this to do. iron sharpening iron. This, right, this right. talking about it is makes us sensitive. Our ears, our our but senses that's why, are. Heightened. That's why it constantly tells us to evaluate yes. our progress so yes. that what, what happens is that if we see ourselves continually getting more yes. sensitive yes. then what happens is that uh, we can actually be assured that we have right. salvation yes. that yes. we're on the right path yes Absolutely, hundred percent. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. Right. No, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm, no sorry. No sorry. We're uh, we're almost out of time. So sorry. what I'm gonna do? I'm uh, sorry. No, you're fine. To we're supposed to have discussion. That's good. Um, so what I'm gonna do? Um, I'm going to go ahead and finish this passage, and that way, when we pick up next week, um, we'll be under a new heading. So I'm gonna go ahead and finish uh, this heading um, that we're under right now of uh, the priesthood. So we were at uh, verse 27 in chapter 9. It says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he's already done that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciences uh, or consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible... For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. After that will, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Because if sin's not there, you don't need forgiveness for it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Therefore, we must agree with the conclusion that is reached by Denault. In agreement with the covenant of works, the old covenant demanded a perfect obedience to the law of God, but contrary to the covenant of works, the old covenant was based on a sacrificial system for the redemption of sinners. And we see that Christ's covenant is better, it's superior. Like we said earlier, that's pretty much the point of the book of Hebrews. The sacrifice was better. Every, yes, yes, that snippet there for sure, yes. All right, uh, any concluding thoughts or discussion before we close? Don't you know the, I want to say, saved Israelites anxiously waited the coming of Christ? Yes. They would have understood that what they were doing was for nothing. They would have understood it was dead works. Interestingly enough, yeah, that's what it moves that, into in yeah, chapter 11. Yeah, but the thing is that uh, they, they couldn't picture... Uh, this they they were still looking at it through the lens of the law, and so what happens is that uh, it was so new that with the, the whole concept was completely uh, outside of their uh, grasp, and so the situation is that uh, that's that's why the Jews couldn't pick it up uh, after it happened. Uh, is that uh, you know they could not they felt like that they were literally uh, uh, tramping all over the law uh, but basically what happened was that uh, they just didn't understand that, that that was the in the works all the time that's why I say the, the saved ones those that got uh, I guess yeah, I don't know how in the world they got saved with that, though, uh, because basically until that concept came, uh, it was completely uh, oblivious to them. Spirit. I think that... The Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit would have led them, but I think, I think that the answer is kind of implicit in the passage we just read. So you have these Levitical priests offering this these sins over and over and over, and it, I mean... Imagine the amount of blood just being shed constantly. And there was no hope in it because they kept having to do it. There was no perfect sacrifice at all because they kept having to do it. So I think in that way, uh, specifically referencing the priesthood, I mean, there's more, but I'm focusing on priesthood right now. Um, I think it's pointing forward to Christ and I think those who are um, regenerate in the Old Covenant. Um, maybe they can't see it as clearly as we see it, because of course not. It's future no, for them. That's right. We have more light than they did. Yeah, yes. well, but they, I they do think never, that they, they had an understanding. Like this. I do think they had an understanding of it, though. Right. Because it was always the case that, uh, remember, th this covenant here is based in the Abrahamic Covenant and the one of the dualistic aspects is the covenant of grace, the seed to come. So there was always an understanding something greater is coming. They may not have been able to yeah, you know, give all the details, like, you know, but they, they did understand there is a seed coming. They understood there is a Messiah coming. And they did understand that it was better. But the nation as a whole... Uh, I'm not talking about the saved Jews now. I'm just talking about the nation as a whole. Had a misunderstanding of what this Messiah looked like because it was all political. <laughs> so. All right. Well, uh, we will, Lord willing, pick up um, kind of in the middle of this next week and maybe finish, uh, maybe, uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Um, let, let's close with prayer. Father, uh, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the discussion we've been able to have tonight with each other uh, around your word, uh, trying to grasp to rightly understand your word. One thing we certainly understand, and we are 
most grateful for is the superiority of Christ and his covenant. And we thank you that you have graciously chosen to include us in it. Um, we pray that you would help us to live out what we know is true, that you have written your law on our hearts. And this is the evidence of a circumcised heart. Help us to live that out. Help us to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world that is dying. Um, and we pray that you would give them life in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for letting me.